For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome back. I'm Christina Dent along with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. If you're not part of our Facebook um, community, social media community, head on over there. Uh, we now are actually on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find us at End It For Good MS. Part of our work is inviting people to change their minds, but the only way that we can reach more people with that invitation is for people who are already on that journey to expand the conversation in their circles. The absolute best way for someone to engage in this conversation is for them to be invited to by somebody that they trust. Now, you might be asking, who is that? Well, that's you, if you're listening. Uh, we're not asking you to be angry or confrontational or disrespectful or ugly. In fact, I would beg you not to be any of those things. You will be a far more effective messenger if you say things like, you know, I've been learning about alternatives to locking people up for drugs, and there's some pretty interesting things out there that work better. And then share an article or a graphic or a podcast. That's what we try to provide is the kind of content that pairs perfectly with just an invitation like that. Uh, and that's all there is to inviting people to the conversation. And when you do that repeatedly over a period of time, people find themselves more open than they were before. It is the slow, long game work of cultural change. But if we want to see the most life-saving, harm-reducing changes to drug policy, that's the work that you and I have to do. It's not going to change overnight, but it will change over time, as more of us change our minds and use our voices to invite other people to change their minds too. So our show today is all about Kratom. If you haven't heard of it, you will. And if you have heard of it, then you may know that it's been embroiled in legislative action at the federal level and in some states to criminalize it, sometimes even just at the local level in cities or counties. Um, so in plain language, what that means is that there is a push to expand the drug war to include another substance, Kratom. This is mind-boggling if we look at what's actually happened with the substances that we already have in the drug war, and yet it, we have not learned our lesson yet, and now there's, there's a move to add another substance into that category of explosion of harms that happen when you criminalize a substance. So our guest today is going to help us understand what Kratom is, why people use it, and why there's been a push by some groups to ban it. So John Bush is an activist, an entrepreneur, and a father of two based in Austin, Texas. And several years ago, he became interested in natural health and the ability the body has to heal itself through healthy living and natural remedies. So John now operates a Kratom and CBD company called Brave Botanicals. In addition to offering high-quality plant medicine, Brave Botanicals also educates the public about natural remedies and furthers health freedom in America. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the work y'all are doing. I first heard John speak on another podcast, and although we have actually never had anyone on our show before that's engaged on the industry side of a substance, um, which John is, I wanted to bring him on because he's really knowledgeable about Kratom, and part of what we need to be able to form a framework around how we think about this substance that a lot of people still have not heard of is to actually understand the substance itself. So one of our core values at End It For Good is honest education. So we don't want the use of just fear-mongering. We don't want that for adults, and we don't want it for kids. We want honest education about what are these substances, what are their potential harms, um, 
And that's what we want to try to help provide with with this issue of Kratom is some honest education. Uh, And John just does a great job of talking about Kratom um, from all of his research on it and and now being involved in the industry side of it. So, John, before you tell us how you became passionate about Kratom, what even is it and why do people use it? Well, Kratom is a member of the coffee family, although it doesn't have caffeine. It's made from the powderized leaves of the Kratom evergreen tree, which is grown primarily in Southeast Asia. It's been used for hundreds of years indigenously Uh, as a folk remedy in Southeast Asia, primarily uh, for laborers working in the farm as a stimulant to get a little boost of energy. And then also it was used, interestingly enough, uh, to help overcome opium addiction hundreds of years ago. It became more popular in the West in the 90s, and it's exploded in popularity alongside the growth of this opioid epidemic. Um, A lot of people, there's different varieties. There's green and white Those tend to be a little more uplifting, energetic, good for focus, stress and anxiety, motivation. And then the red varieties people take for chronic pain, relaxation, help with sleep. And a lot of people use Kratom whenever they are no longer liking the effects of prescription pain medicine or even uh, Adderall. And then a lot of people use it to help overcome the withdrawal symptoms that keeps them in the clutches of addiction, whether it's opioids or even opiates like heroin. So a lot of people are finding that Kratom greatly benefits the quality of their lives. So as an organization, we don't encourage substance use of any kind. We see that as kind of a side issue of our main issue, which is ending the criminalization of those substances, no matter what they are or what potential uses, positive or negative, they have. Uh, But you work in the industry of Kratom, and you're really passionate about people having access to it, kind of proactively having access to it. Why are you engaged in this work? Why are you passionate about it? Well, I've been an advocate for health freedom and an an activist for, for freedom for, I guess, since 2002. And about 10 or 12 years ago, I really became interested in natural health and natural remedies. I had a really bad throat infection that had me just grounded on the couch. I couldn't even get up, and I was encouraged to use colloidal silver and a nebulizer, and I did that, and it completely wiped out the throat issues and took all the pain away, and that was just kind of like blew me away. I was like, wow, we have the ability to to heal ourselves and to, to manage these ailments on our own, and that began a whole lot of research, and then when uh, me and the mother of my children were planning on having kids. And when she was pregnant, we really got deep into natural health because we wanted to be able to show up as the, you know, most fit, healthy parents as possible and instill those values in our children. And um, at the same time, I was always concerned about government overreach, government control over people's lives in various areas. And it just didn't sit well with me that uh, bureaucrats, legislators would try to prevent people from accessing healthy, natural alternatives uh, to to help benefit their lives. And and then I was introduced to Kratom, and I learned how, how beneficial it was and how many people that it helped. I literally saw people get their lives back from the clutches of addiction, and that just really sparked an interest with me. And I've had my own um, experience with Kratom, how it's benefited my lives as well. So what are some of those, um, the arguments for criminalizing it? So I'll... <clears throat> I'll share some of what I've heard here. I'd love to know what you hear kind of uh, nationally. Maybe it's similar. Um, So I've heard uh, 
kind of two sides of the coin. I've talked to people who um, have said, you know, Kratom has saved my life. I met a woman recently who said, you know, I was on, like, unable to get out of bed for five years. I was on opioids um, to manage a chronic pain condition. And I finally realized I'm either going to die doing this or I have to find something else. And so she started doing research and she found Kratom. And, and now she is, you know, she said, I get up, I can, I can work, I can make dinner, I can go for a walk, I can spend time with my husband. Um, I have a life now where I didn't before. And so, you know, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for Kratom just because, you know, not because she woke up and has activism in her soul, <laughs> but because she said, you know, this, this has given me my life back. And I didn't have that before when I was taking opioids. Um, and then I also talked to somebody else who said, you know, uh, Kratom devastated um, my family. You know, my, my, I don't, can't remember if it was a spouse or, or boyfriend, um, you know, was taking it, became addicted to it. It, you know, sucked out all of our savings and uh, was just this um, uh, disaster. So, there's there's all these different experiences of I've actually heard way more positive experiences from kratom and I think that's you know generally true as it is with all substances if people are non problematically using them we don't hear about it I mean they're just going about their day they're they're going to work they're just going on with their life so you tend to only hear that kind of small percentage of really harmful stories um, unless you start to you know to talk about it with people and find, oh, wow, there's all sorts of people that are using this, um, that they would say it is improving their life. Um, so what are the arguments uh, for for criminalizing it that you hear? Okay, yeah, there's a handful of arguments that the FDA, the FDA is the primary driver against um, Kratom. And it was, we, it was later revealed that in 2016, when the DEA tried to schedule Kratom alongside heroin, LSD, they tried to add it to Schedule 1, there was massive pushback, huge sleeping giant awoke in people because they've benefited from Kratom. And like you said, it's people that were never activists or never lobbied or called their, le- called their legislator before. But when they learned that the government, federal government is trying to ban Kratom, they, you know, they wouldn't want to go back to opioids and benefit them so much. So many people called and rallied and, and ended up where like 55 congressmen and 10 U.S. senators signed a letter to the DEA urging them to back off, uh, and they did. But it was later revealed that it was the FDA that was behind that push. And since then, the FDA has continued their efforts going to local and state governments, encouraging them to ban. Now, the FDA puts out a lot of what I would call propaganda and misinformation. Some of their concerns are genuine concerns, and we see regulations like the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, which we can talk about more, helping to overcome those concerns. But First of all, the FDA has claimed that there's been 44 Kratom-related deaths. And if you could see me, I'd be doing air quotes over Kratom-related. The CDC later came out and said there were 91 Kratom-related deaths in a two-year period. Now, they say Kratom-related deaths because people died and had Kratom in their system. But in these 91 Kratom-related deaths the CDC talks about, only seven of those had Kratom alone in their system. Most of the other ones, they died while having Kratom in their system. They also had fentanyl, cocaine, alcohol, um, Mm -hmm. benzodiazepines, all sorts of other pharmaceuticals and illicit drugs. And then for the seven that didn't have any other drugs and only had Kratom, 
this is either FDA numbers or the CDC numbers, one of them fell out of a window, one of them was shot. And so I'm not going to say that Kratom alone won't kill someone because someone could die from drinking too much water, but it's extremely unlikely that someone could overdose from taking Kratom alone, in my opinion. Um, another concern that they have is that Kratom uh, can be addictive. Now, as I said before, Kratom is a member of the coffee family. Many people become addicted to caffeine, um, coffee. A lot of people even experience mild withdrawal symptoms when they don't have coffee or caffeine by a certain time, like migraines or something like that. Now, Kratom does um, bind to the body's opioid receptors along with serotonin and dopamine receptors. That's why it's good for stress and anxiety. Interacting with the opioid receptors is why it helps with pain. Kratom can be addictive. And if it's used in an irresponsible way, for example, if someone was formerly addicted to Oxycontin or heroin, now they use Kratom to get off of those drugs and they become addicted to Kratom. And they're taking an extremely high volume of Kratom, like more than an ounce, which would normally last someone perhaps two to four weeks, but they take that every day. And they do this for months on end then when they stop taking it, their body is going to experience some withdrawal symptoms. That is a concern that people have. But in my opinion, it's an example of harm reduction when someone was formerly addicted to a substance that could kill them, like Oxycontin, fentanyl, or heroin. Now they're addicted to a plant where it's highly unlikely that they would overdose or experience respiratory depression, which is why people die from these opioid mm -hmm. overdoses. That's one of the main benefits of Kratom um, when it comes to managing pain. It doesn't cause the respiratory depression that these other ones do. There's a lot of promise there. And so I think those concerns, are, those concerns can be managed. Those concerns can be overcome. And then the third concern, um, the FDA and other government officials and legislators say that Kratom can be adulterated. So there's been reports that there was Kratom laced with fentanyl, which I don't know how true those reports are, but that is something to be concerned about. But that can easily be overcome by buying Kratom from trusted vendors, from reputable sources, and places that have all of their Kratom tested. And now we see the Kratom Consumer Protection Act is being, it's been introduced in Mississippi as a counter to the effort to ban it, passed in Arizona, Georgia, Utah, and a few other states. And that actually regulates Kratom and requires that every single bit of Kratom sold be tested for adulterants, impurities, alkaloid content, stuff like that. So yes, there are some concerns. Some of them, I believe, are just outright propaganda. Some of them are genuine concerns. But there's really great ways where all of these concerns are being addressed through cooperating with regulators and the industry to make sure the consumer has a safe, unadulterated product. And it's a <clears throat> it's a good point to to make that um, you know these are not unlike lots of concerns that we have that are actually far more serious concerns with other legal substances. I mean, you know, several hundred thousand people die, you know, from alcohol every year, from smoking every year, um, even from legally prescribed things like opioids. Um, it, so it is it is a, a strange thing to me that that are even though we have recognized that there are lots of substances with us that can cause harm, but we allow people to access them legally, whether it's, you know, alcohol that you don't need a prescription for or an opioid that you do need a prescription for. We haven't just banned those because people can be harmed by them. 
Um, and it, it, it seems so strange to me that that would be the immediate knee-jerk reaction that we would say, um, you know, for, for the FDA and the DEA who are saying, let's, let's even use their numbers, there are 44 deaths where people had Kratom in their system. If we banned every substance for which there were 44 deaths a year from people who had that substance in there, I mean, we – we wouldn't be able to put anything in our mouth, basically. I mean, they're just that's that is that's the world we live in is where substances can do harm. Lots of substances, like you said, you know, you can die from water poisoning. Um, it, it's not because it is just a strange thing to me. And to me, that is much less about what is actually helpful and much more about what we're afraid of. And so we we kind of find something to put that fear onto. Um, and instead of saying, wait a second, just because something can be harmful doesn't mean that criminalizing it is the right way to to mitigate those harms. Um, and one of the things that I hear here is people saying, you know, right now, a 10-year-old child can walk into a gas station and, you know, buy Kratom because it's not regulated um, where we are in Mississippi. Um, well, if you ban it, now the 10-year-old child just needs to go to you know, the street corner right outside the gas station to get the Kratom, they can still get it. I mean, there's no banning it ensures that you can't set any kind of age restriction. It ensures there's no potency or purity controls. It ensures all of the things that people, um, the arguments that they use to say why you should ban it, banning it does not help with. It does not help with age restrictions. It does not help with potency and purity. It does not help with people even having access to it. As lo- I mean, we know that as long as there is demand for a substance, there will always be supply for that substance, whether it's through a legal means or an underground market, it's going to find a way to be, you know, um, to be available as, if there's a market of people who want to buy it. So what would you say to people who, let's say they have used Kratom problematically, or they have a family member who has used it problematically. And I think I would agree with you. Everything I've read is that that, that number of people is very small of the um, the total number of people who are using it. Most are using it non-problematically and in ways they would say benefit their life. Um, and I would say, too, ways that the people around them would say it benefits their life. It's not that it's just, you know, their life is a wreck and they, they just can't admit it. Um, but if they say, you know, we have to protect it, we have to ban it to protect more people from the harm that I experienced. What would you say? Well, um, I just want to respond to one thing that you were saying earlier. Um, it is puzzling that legislators and lawmakers in the FDA would want to ban Kratom. Meanwhile, far more people are dying from legal opioids like Oxycontin, fentanyl. I mean, fentanyl is such a problem and so many people are dying from it, yet it's legal and widely available, whether through prescription or illicitly obtaining it. And the reason behind that, it doesn't seem very puzzling once people realize, and thankfully more and more people are realizing that the government operates with a revolving door, whereby many of these regulatory agencies, their purpose isn't necessarily to protect the end consumer or to protect the health of the American public in the example of the FDA, rather The purpose is to minimize competition for those pharmaceutical industries that are in positions of power. And the reason why things like kratom and cannabis are banned, thankfully the tide has been turning for the past decade when it comes to cannabis, is because it's very hard for these large pharmaceutical companies to make a profit off of a natural plant 
that grows abundantly, is widely available, and anyone can sell it in its natural form. It's all about money and control. And when someone looks at government through that lens, then it makes it very obvious why the government would want to shut these things down. I just wanted to throw that out there because a lot of people are like, wow, this is so confusing. 44 deaths with Kratom compared to hundreds of thousands with fentanyl and Oxycontin, and this stuff still remains legal. It's because the pharmaceutical companies control the regulatory agencies, and there's a revolving door between the FDA commissioners, the regulatory uh, heads, and the pharmaceutical executives. Just want to throw that out there. Mm. Uh, but to respond to your question, um, like with the example of the 10-year-old boy, I think a lot of people abrogate responsibility for reducing harm within their family and their communities to government because it's extremely difficult to go in and do the hard work, the hard healing, uh, and the parenting that that's necessary to, to foster awareness in our children. There's this like taboo around drugs, whereas if we could speak openly with our children and address things and let them know to avoid things, and if there's more trust between the community and the children and the parents and the children, I think it would be easier to avoid that. And then also, it's the people that abuse Kratom that become dependent on Kratom to the point where they have withdrawal symptoms and they're using it as though it was a drug. Um, those people have dealt more than likely have dealt with a lot of trauma in their lives. And that's one of the reasons I really like the work of Dr. Gabor Mate when it comes to addiction. Mm -hmm. He says that people become addicted because they're looking for a way to numb the pain from all of the childhood trauma or even adult trauma that they experienced. And they never learn to cope with that. And all they know is that pain. And it's the drugs that give them the warmth and comfort that they never had as a child because they were neglected by their parents or their parents were drug addicts. And so I think if we really want to do the work rather than just saying, oh, well, government ban this or that and that'll help us, we really got to shift the way that we deal with addiction in America, whether it, and shift it away from put person in jail, shun someone, shame someone, and one that's more in line with compassion, healing, understanding, communication, and support. And so I think that, you know, unfortunately, it's easier just to put someone behind bars than it is to give someone a hug and talk to them about their problems. It seems like part of Kratom's um, popularity in recent years has stemmed in part from the difficulty that people are have, having with the crackdowns and prescription opioids to even get the medicine maybe that was giving them a measure of quality of life. Um, before, we've had, you know, talked to people that have had that experience. Also, they're getting cut off of um you know, their prescriptions during in this um, ill-conceived crackdown on prescriptions um, that has actually had really harmful effects. And now they're desperate to find something else. So they're finding Kratom and finding, wow, it gives me some, you know, quality of life back, maybe better than I had on the prescriptions, maybe just the same, maybe less, but it's, it's better than, um, you know, just taking Tylenol or Advil. Um, but it really is, it has really struck me in really sad ways, how um, just how desperate there are, people are, um, to find some relief in our current, um, the way that, that pain management is being handled currently, where we kind of have law enforcement in charge of pain management. Um, also a very strange situation when we, we require doctors to take years of medical training, but it's actually law enforcement who is in charge of what doctors can even 
do with pain management and, and prescribing of pain management substances now. Um, so why are, you know, we don't, we do not encourage drug use. I'm not encouraging people to go use Kratom. But I have had this very interesting experience of people who are desperate for help um, for legitimate medical problems and have found Kratom to be um, really effective and helpful. Have you experienced that? Do you have um, stories? Certainly there are stories of people who have used it problematically, um, but I'm, I have just found more and more people desperate for you know alternatives. What is it about Kratom that, that people are are finding? Are you finding that that there are more people having this experience of it helping um, to give them maybe a better quality of life than they had had on opioids or a better quality of life than they had, you know, using nothing or, um, you know, whatever else they were being prescribed. Yeah. A a story comes to mind. This was early on when I got into Kratom and started selling it. It must've been late 2016 or early 2017. There was a, an older grandmother in California that called to thank me uh, for turning her on to Kratom because I also do a lot of educational videos and outreach. And she said that she would watch her four young grandchildren. I guess their mother was out of the picture or, or not around. And she was addicted to Percocet for many, many years. And she would be watching the grandchildren and she wasn't able to keep up with them. And she would find herself ha- having to go sit on her bed and kind of shaking up and down and just so bent out of shape from the Percocet. And she tried to quit many, many times, but the withdrawal symptoms were so severe that she went back on the pain medicine. Then she learned about Kratom, and she was able to quit the Percocet within two days. This is what she reported me, within two days, with little to no withdrawal symptoms whatsoever. And she replaced the Percocet with Kratom in order to manage the pain, And now, not only did she have the same pain relief, but she was able to play with the grandchildren and take care of the grandchildren. And that's when it comes to pain management. My own partner in life, my life partner, Rebecca, she had, she was using um, uh, what's called Adderall for many, many years from college on through her career. And she would use it when she would feel overwhelmed with work or when her brain would be a little cloudy and she didn't like it because it took away her personality. She had a different personality. And then she would even drink to what she called pump the brakes afterwards to kind of slow down after taking the Adderall because Adderall is simply legalized methamphetamine. Like that's what the scientific name is even. And she, so she was drinking a lot as well. And whenever we met, I recognized this and she shared that it was a problem and she had tried to quit the Adderall for many, many times as well. And she was able to use Kratom instead of Adderall, which helped her with the mental focus, which helped her when she was feeling overwhelmed. She was able to quit the Adderall and then also quit the drinking dramatically as well. And so there's many instances where people do find benefit from these pharmaceuticals. But in addition to the benefit, there's many negative side effects. And I think there's a lot of people that are finding relief from Kratom without all of those negative side effects. And then, of course, the biggest one would be respiratory depression, which is why Kratom holds a lot of promise, not only in its natural form, but there's also pharmaceutical companies that are trying to isolate the active compounds in Kratom, which is mitragrynine and 7-hydroxymitragrynine, and turn those into a pharmaceutical themselves, which in, in my estimation, I think the raw 
compounds themselves are more synergistic with our body systems. But if someone were to isolate those compounds, turn them into a pharmaceutical drug, perhaps that would offer more mainstream adoption. And now there would be an opioid out there in the marketplace that has the benefits, binds with the opioid receptors, is less addictive, and doesn't cause the respiratory depression that is killing so many people and tearing so many families apart. That's an important point to make about um, overdoses. Something that I just did not know before I got involved in this work is how overdoses actually typically happen, which is respiratory depression if you take too much um, of an opioid, it slows your breathing. And if you take too much, it slows it to the point of death. Um, and so uh, for a substance like Kratom, not to have that um, danger of respiratory depression is a big deal. If people want to know how they can be part of keeping Kratom legal in their state, maybe because they proactively want it to be legal, maybe because they use it, maybe just because they don't want the drug war to expand and and create another, you know, all of these extra harms with another substance, what's the best way for people to get involved? Well, the American Kratom Association is doing a lot of great work. It's an industry association. There's a guy named Mac Haddow that leads it up. And essentially what happens anytime a county or state introduces a legislation to ban Kratom, they come in, they rally Kratom users to come testify. They provide scientific facts and research, not just propaganda or the FDA's press release. And they come in and what ends up happening at almost every single occasion, especially with the state legislatures, is instead of banning Kratom, they introduce the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, which regulates Kratom. And it requires that all Kratom be labeled and tested. So this completely overcomes the adulterated Kratom concern um, and it basically just legitimizes it. And so I think if people wanted to follow the American Kratom Association, I know there's American Kratom Association Facebook groups for every single state. That's what we see taking place in Mississippi right now. There was an effort to ban it, and more than likely that effort to ban is going to be replaced with legislation that will regulate Kratom. Same thing happened in New Hampshire. It's happening all over the country. And this piece of legislation has already passed. And again, it's whenever there's fear... And there, are, there have been parents, for example, there's a mother in Florida who says that her son committed suicide because of Kratom, and her son drove his truck off of a bridge and died, and the mm-hmm. son was using Kratom, but the son was also using other more illegal and hardcore substances as well. And so I think sometimes people in searching for answers when there's tragedy in their family, they want to find something to blame, so it makes more sense perhaps. Um, and they blame Kratom. Now, that those types of examples do happen, but those are very isolated examples. And again, just like the FDA and the CDC's Kratom-related deaths, more often than not, there's other substances and other issues taking place, right? It's not Kratom that causes someone to commit suicide. It's trauma. It's pain. It's, it's whatever. It's all sorts of other things. And so I think whenever legislators and regulators can hear a solid, honest <laughs> examination of Kratom and its benefits and the, and the risks, and those risks can be mitigated through through legislation. Um, it just seems like a pretty simple answer that we should we should continue to allow people to access this plant remedy, um, and we should put in safeguards to ensure that they're getting safe, unadulterated product. Does kratom have psychoactive effect? Uh, no. Now, a, a lot of people in the industry don't like it when people use the word euphoria. 
But I will say that if someone's taking potent kratom and they take a larger dose, they will there will be some very mild euphoria. It doesn't have as much of a state change as far as the way that you feel like mentally as cannabis, but it just kind of takes the edge off, so to speak. Um, it's very, very subtle. And again, it's, it's something where you can take a very light amount of kratom and it's a little bit stimulating and just kind of puts a little pep in your step, so to speak, much like drinking coffee in the morning or like a little bit more awake and alert. Then for people that take a larger amount, if they're trying to mask pain or deal with chronic pain, it helps with that. Or some of the green varieties, for example, kind of provide a very mild euphoria, which is really good for if you're feeling stressed or anxious. But to answer your question, I would say no, it's not necessarily psychoactive. If you want to connect with John, you can do so at mybravebotanicals.com. John Bush, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Now, some of you are listening and thinking to yourselves, well, I definitely don't think it should be criminalized, but I don't necessarily want people using it either. So maybe I just need to stay silent. Maybe that's kind of the neutral position. So it doesn't look like I'm pushing people to use it. Just let me encourage you, if you're listening, you can vocally support an appropriate response to a substance without celebrating the substance. One day, I hope that we have dispensaries that sell marijuana nationwide. And one day after that, some form of legal heroin and cocaine. And for me, those dispensaries aren't places I plan to go. They're not places that I necessarily want my kids going. I'm going to give them an honest education about the dangers of those. But when they open, they will be a symbol that the harms of criminalizing those substances are over. And that represents thousands of people who won't die from preventable overdoses and millions of people who won't experience the trauma and destruction of an involvement with our criminal justice system. And that is something to vocally support. There is very real inertia to just keep the drug war going, just expand it to include more substances like Kratom. And if we take the neutral route, the drug war will expand, not diminish. It requires proactive engagement to end this disaster, and it matters. And it's worth the vulnerability of sticking your neck out there to help protect millions of lives from preventable harm. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.